We all crave connection. At our core, we all want to feel loved and understood. Hi, I'm Nukhami, entrepreneur, founder, and CEO of my very own beauty brand, Carmela Cosmetics, and business consultant. This is We Are Women, Beauty Redefined, a podcast where women speak their truth and celebrate their victories. This podcast features different women whose names you probably recognize. You've seen them, been following them, and might even think that they've always had it together. Listen in to hear the women you know and love share their journeys with self-acceptance and self-love, discovering their unique beauty and confidence in a society that for so long has focused on exemplifying a specific beauty standard. It's a place where we'll learn about each other and ourselves, dive into important issues that affect us, discover all that we have in common, and make some memories. So pour yourself a glass of red and get comfortable. Every night is ladies' night, and we are women, beauty redefined. I am so excited to have Rachel Herkman on this week's podcast episode. I've been following Rachel for a while. I love how she is a huge advocate for women who are single. I love her whole perspective on therapy and connections and relationships, so I asked her to come on. So during this episode, Rachel shares her journey and talks about how her struggles as a child helps her hold space for her clients today and the importance of people who believed in her when she didn't necessarily believe in herself. She shares why she advocates for women who are single and talks about accepting and connecting to all different types of people. Rachel discusses the difference between compatibility and chemistry and shares why she took a social media break for a few years and then why she decided to come back. We also spoke about why people think we sit at the cool table and other behind the scenes Instagram excitement and more. So here's what happened. As our conversation progressed, I realized that we were going to need more time to cover all the information that we had planned and not planned. So I made a spontaneous decision that we were gonna split this episode into part one and part two. Towards the end of this episode, which is part one, Rachel begins to talk about listening to our own bodies and a health scare that she went through. We finished discussing that and more in part two of this episode, so stay tuned for that launching next week. I am so excited for you to listen to part one of this episode with Rachel. Let's dive on in. I grew up in Woodmere, New York, which is often referred to as a part of the five towns. And I'm the second of four children. I have an older brother, two younger sisters. And my parents actually still live in the house that I grew up in. And I would say just in terms of as a little kid, what I think about when I think about my house, my house was and is a place where a lot of conversation and a lot of laughter and also substance. And, and that was something I saw from a young age. As a little kid, what's funny is that I was, since we just moved recently, I was just looking at albums. And it's funny when you go a while without looking at family albums from the time you're a kid, because you start to see things with new perspective. I see new resemblance between, you know, my kids and this person or, and I found a picture of me at age three with a blow dryer and a brush in a onesie. <laughs> so it's, and it's, it's a funny picture. And I, I look back and I had this dainty side, but I also had this sporty side. I really liked hair and makeup and, and getting all dressed up and playing dress up was my favorite thing to do. <laughs> there was uh, down the house, down the block, there was a house having a tag sale once and they were selling a wedding gown for 20 bucks. And when I was in fourth grade, we bought a wedding gown for 20 bucks at this tag sale. And I play dress up by putting on this real wedding dress. And we have all these pictures of like, we'd set it up in the living room and I would stand with the flowers and we used like a, a bit, like the veil was like those carriage covers. That's like a, that was the, you know, and it was magical, this feeling of, you know, imagining and playing dress up and things like that. We actually, in my house also, we would roller skate before my parents got furniture in the living room, we'd roller skate. And there was like a rink that went through from the foyer to the kitchen, dining room, living room, and we just go in circles and kids would come over, our friends would come over and be like, oh, this is so much fun, roller skate. I feel like as a kid, I had a certain awareness of being different or feeling different. On the outside, I think I 
appeared confident and people refer to me in a way of, as being a confident person. But I think we all have insecurities as kids and I certainly had my own insecurities. And living with family around is something that I realized now I took for granted because not everyone has that. Uh, I had both sets of grandparents lived within 20 minutes. My parents both had siblings very close by. So I grew up with a lot of cousins nearby and there was always stuff going on in our house. It was always like this cousin who just someone just flew in from Israel and we're going to pick them up from JFK. And then this family friend happened to stop by. Like our, our door was literally always open like a jar with just the screen door. That was a very normal thing in our house. Thought of a story that I feel like sums up a lot of me as a kid. So when I was three, we went to the duck pond and we were feeding all the ducks and you know, you're supposed to throw like little pieces and I threw like a loaf of bread and then all, my parents told me the story. I don't remember the story. All of a sudden, like sworn, like all these ducks, geese just like all descended on this piece of bread. And my mom told me that after that point, I was not only scared of ducks, but I was scared of all animals and I was scared of, of dogs and whatever. And both my parents grew up with dogs in their houses. Um, my parents are both, it's interesting, my grandparents are they're all American. So I grew up very American houses. So my parents both had dogs. Like most of my friends did not have parents who grew up with dogs. Anyway, so I was scared of, of dogs. And I remember a couple of years later, I don't even remember being scared of dogs, by the way. When I was seven, my cousin was having a birthday party where a dog trainer came and brought dogs. And at the end of the birthday party, she said, are there any volunteers? who want to allow the dogs to jump over you. And I raised my hand and decided I don't want to be scared of dogs anymore. And I went and I volunteered. The dogs jumped over me. And from that point on, I wasn't scared of dogs anymore. That's really cool. Yeah. And so that, that kind of, in a way, I think speaks to my personality a lot in that uh, on the one hand, I'm sensitive and I feel things and I'm scared of things on the other hand I also have a side that can say I'm going to do this I want to get through this I want to move past this I want to I want to get stronger or I don't want to be afraid anymore and then go do it yeah I was going to say it it sounds like you've always been someone who is comfortable being uncomfortable like getting out of your comfort zone and trying. So, yeah. Trying new things. I definitely think I grew up seeing role models who were very intelligent and humble and were able to really, and I feel very fortunate that my parents modeled discipline and that with focus, it, it wasn't this message of you could be anything you want to be and all that stuff. It, it, it was more like, Rachel, you put your mind to things and amazing things are going to happen. That was kind of the message I got. And I was not a good student in school. I found school very boring as a kid. I became the class clown in middle school and was good at that. And throughout high school, I feel like I still, and teachers really struggled with me because I was disruptive and they would all tell my parents the same thing. She has so much potential. If she would just be quiet and do her work, you know, she'd be a straight A student. And my attitude was like, I'd rather do nothing and get 80s or 75s by cramming the night before. And I, I loved social aspects of school and being with my friends. And I would write the Purim spiel every year. Like, you know, there, there were a lot of things about school I liked, but the actual, you know, being in school piece, I really didn't like. But I felt that my parents, understood me in a way that they didn't express fear of, of, oh no, you're not a good student. Like what's going to happen? It was Rachel, when you decide that you want to get it together, you will. And that was often what happened for me. And then when I got to college, I became a very good student. So am I comfortable being uncomfortable on a certain level? Yes. Of course, there are things that I'm too scared to do. It took me a very long time actually to get comfortable 
being in front of the camera on social media. That actually took me a while. Uh, during COVID actually was when it shifted for me. I think sitting around all day, you know, something just shifted in that sense. And I just was like, okay, we're, I got to do this. But yeah, I definitely think as a kid, there was a certain, it was space for it. I should say that there, there was space for it. I think that there are environments where you might get a message that that's not okay. I feel like I had aunts and my grandmothers and my great grandmothers and cousins. I saw women who were strong and who were bright and who were successful and who could get up and, and do public speeches. You know, we'd have a yurt site gathering, you know, it was, it wasn't crazy for one of the women to get up and, and talk. So I saw that, but also that you could be nurturing and caring and you could be all that. And I think that that really played a role in terms of me and how I saw what is, you know, possible for myself. Right. Yeah. I love that. I, I was also thinking as you're talking, it sounds like people held space for you to be who, to, who you truly were, um, like your authenticity. And when you were not, I'm not going to say struggling, but when you weren't a typical, like straight A student. Or struggling. Or struggling. Or struggling. Okay. <laughs> Let's just call it what it is. We don't need to sugarcoat it. I had struggles like every kid. Yeah, yeah. No, I wasn't sure if that's how you would describe it even, but okay. So like struggles as a kid. If that has helped you as a therapist hold space for your clients and help them get through their struggles, their challenges? A hundred percent. It's a great question. I think that I recognize that I had a lot or quite a few people who believed in me, even though I didn't necessarily believe in myself. And feeling like people believe in you plays such an incredible role in being able to achieve and reach for goals. You know, my, both my parents have run marathons. My grandmother is 86. She should live and be well. She plays golf three times a week. She was in the Maccabi games for the over 65 league to get wow. a silver medal in tennis. And I saw a certain consistency and I myself started jogging in high school and I've been a runner since then. And I've run marathons. So I saw that you can you can work at something and that it takes work and it's not just, Oh, okay. Like you just snap your fingers, but I have people who believed in me. And I, I really think that that is so big for people. So for me as a therapist, I find that people can have all of the privileges in the world, but when you don't feel like people believe in you or someone believes in you, it's very difficult to make things happen. And if the only reason why you're doing something is to prove things to other people, you might get the job done, but it's not going to fill the part of you that feels inadequate, if that makes sense. Yeah, it makes total sense. That's the part of when people say mindset, you know? Right. It's kind of, you ever see the movie Cool Runnings about the Jamaican bobsled team? No, I never saw it. So there's this line in there I always quote basically one of the characters he had stolen or had cheated for a, a gold medal in the Olympics years before. And he was discussing it with someone and the person was like, oh man, but like he got a gold medal or something like that. And, and the response was, if you're not enough without it, you won't be enough with it. Right. Right. And I think that goes for a lot of things in life, especially when we're creating goals for ourselves if we feel like I need to do this because like I am not enough of a person without this thing, we might feel better or relieved, but I don't think we're going to feel enough once we have that. It might be temporary. We might feel better. But so for me, I think working with people in terms of the story that they tell themselves or the story that they hear inside themselves, which may be a story that is not even theirs. And might have been something they heard from other people about who they are. That can sometimes be what's holding us back. You know, I think as kids, very often it, it takes time for us to really learn about who we are as people. We hear how other people respond to our personality or other people's frustration with our personality or other people's hopes for us. It takes a while, I think, for us to be able to kind of channel things. I know for myself, I... I was this kid with 
a memory that is not average. So I have a very good memory. And that was something that made me feel different because there were things that I remember that like nobody remembers. Now as a therapist, it's awesome because I don't really take many notes. And I remember the name of someone's roommate from five years ago and, and things like that. And I find I could bump into someone I haven't seen in years. And it really feels like it's been no time. And I'll say, right. oh, when I saw you last, you were figuring out like if you were going to go to here or there, like what you end up deciding. And they're like, I remember that. <laughs> so that's an example of something where as a kid it was like very weird, right? Or even just my brain operates in analogies. My, that is how I process ideas. So it's awesome as an adult. It's awesome as a therapist, as a teenager, or as like a kid. It's, it's a little weird. It felt weird, I should say. Now, that's not to say that in my house, it wasn't appreciated. It was, it was appreciated, but just socially, it was, there was this awareness of feeling different. I know it's so weird when that happens that, you know, as a kid or as a teenager, things could be looked upon as kind of weird and different. And then all of a sudden you get older and you realize that it's your superpower, you know? <laughs> right. It's a superpower. Also just this realization that everyone has insecurities and everyone has things yes. that that make them feel different, that make them different. And that all these other people that we might've looked at and thought there's this dance that everyone else seems to have learned the steps to that. I just don't know the steps to that feeling when there's a sense of easing of that feeling, there's so much opening and clearing for growth that can, that can go from there because that sense of, of difference is there's something that that's eased. Yes, a hundred percent. When you realize that everyone is is feeling that way, and and also when you realize that you're not, everyone's not paying attention to you. You know, I, I remember um, a few years ago, I had an older friend who I was talking to because I think I was about to go to an event or something that I felt uncomfortable going to. I didn't know anyone, and I, she said to me, "Here's a, here's a tip for you, go." And don't even think about the way that you're feeling. Just pay attention to other people and think about how you can make everyone else feel comfortable. And I applied that advice. And let me tell you, it was such a great event. And I still do that to this day. And it has, it's really improved my confidence in regards to going to a room full of strangers. It's so great. And I agree. And I think it applies to so many situations. I often say that my philosophy for being on social media because it's something that I give a lot of thought to of what am I doing on social media why am I on it what am I here for is I'm here to be a service not spotlight if it's about spotlight then it's easy to get caught up in the the numbers and the followers and the this and then that but if I'm here to be a service then I'm here to be a service I'm here but if there's something I think is helpful for people to hear or to share I'm here to be a service. The rest, what happens after that is not my department. And the service not spotlight thing is definitely, I think going to events for sure. It's it's a great way to frame things. Yeah, I love that service not spotlight. Okay. Maybe we'll call this episode. That'll be the title. <laughs> That's great. I love that. So I wanna I wanna backtrack a little bit to yeah. to really how I how I discovered you on social, which is really through your, I'm going to call it advocacy because I really feel like you're an advocate for, for women who are single. Because of this podcast, we speak to women mostly. So um, we'll just say women, even though of course it could be anyone who's single, but um, you, you really are an advocate for, for women who are single and other people as well. But what I'm curious about is because when I, when I first heard you talking, I thought that First, I wasn't sure if you were single. Then I'm like, no, she's she's married. Like she, you know, you married for a while. You have a family, thank God. And so, so what? What made you? What inspired you to be an advocate for women who are single? Yeah, it's funny. The word advocate is. Uh, I'm trying to think why I hesitate to it. I'm not sure why I hesitate to it. It's it's fine. I guess I any kind of labels. I'm always like a part of me wants to crawl under the table. <laughs> I hear that. It's just what happens. So how did I get involved with being an advocate? Hmm. 
Well, I think a few things. I think I'm not a quiet person. So even just personality wise, you know, I think that I'm someone who I enjoy conversations about things. And I find that conversation is very powerful in terms of giving people language for their experiences. I think that therapy for, for many people, hopefully gives them more language for their experiences. And when you hear people using language for your experience that you may not have had language for, it can change the way you feel, even if it doesn't change any of the facts on the ground. And so something I've come to learn about myself really through hearing other people's reaction and response to me is that I never saw myself as a writer. Okay. I hated writing in school. I hated papers. I, I really didn't like it. What I did do in terms of writing as a kid was journaling. I started journaling in middle school and I've journaled since then. And that I think for me, in terms of being able to give language to emotional experiences and processing, that's something that started young and that can apply to a lot of different. So let me, I guess, backtrack for a moment in terms of the professional piece, right? Because I'm using a professional page as a therapist to give voice and language to many people's experiences. So I, in undergrad, I went to Queens College. I thought that was a really good place for me after being in very intense religious environments. It actually was good because it was like more time by myself. I was able to reinvent myself as a student. I was not planning to be a therapist. I was going to be a history teacher. I was really into European history, found it really fascinating. The truth is history and therapy are not that different because history is studying how people behaved and psychology is asking the question of why they behave that way. <laughs> history is a recorded story. Therapy is challenging that narrative because yeah. there's also a psychology of why we write certain things down and who's writing that, who's writing the history books, right? There's psychology involved. When I went to social work school, it was with a certain awareness that even though I enjoyed teaching and I was in a public school, I preferred talking to the kids before class and after class and actually during class. And they have things going on in their lives. And that was where I felt more of a sense of fulfillment. When I went to social work school, I did a concentration in group work. And I love group work because I think it's magical what happens or can happen when we are able to create spaces where people feel understood. And that was, I think for me, the first kind of, the first kind of awareness, you know, I was, I was 21, 22. I still, I, I think was learning like, what are my tools? What are my talents? What am I supposed to do with these tools and talents is how do we cultivate more sensitive dynamics in the groups that we are in? in the communities that we are in, in the cultures that we were in, that we are in. And that I think is something that I've built on when I advocate for any kind of issue is that sense of what are the barriers to empathy? Why is it that people can share experiences and it's so easy for people to not let it in? And I've given a lot of thought to that. I observed, I've watched all these conversations on social media where people are fighting or people are dismissive of other people's experiences or creating a hierarchy of, you know, I call it the Neville contest, you know, almost like this comparison of like, who has a more pathetic situation. And, and I'm like, why can't, why are we looking at empathy as this very finite thing that we're running out of it? If we're compassionate to these people or empathetic to these people's experiences. For me, what I find in terms of the singles scene, which may play a role in why I advocate. So I feel very lucky. I, I got married at 26, which depends what world you're in, in terms of if that's considered old. You know, I think in the real world, getting married at 26 is, is not considered old. And even in my circles, I, I didn't feel like I was the last one getting married, but I 
definitely, you know, my, my younger sister got married before me, which I totally encouraged and they're a great couple. And I was like, no, don't, don't wait for me. Like there's no reason to. And I was very lucky also because I grew up in a house where I never felt this thing of like, like I have to get married. Like my parents are a mess. Oh my gosh. I have a single daughter. Like they, and I, I'm so appreciative of this. They didn't bring me into what their experience was while watching me go through, you know, go on dates and go to events and, you know, the ups and downs of, of just of being single. So and I was journaling all throughout this, by the way. So the memories that I have of that time period, and again, I recognize that I was fortunate and that I had people that set me up. I did not have long dry spells. I met people, I networked, people would set me up with their son or their brother. I, I feel like I was very lucky. I also though remember those days of just that sense of uncertainty of waiting to start your next chapter of life and not knowing if it's going to be a year or five years or 20 years. And I lived in Washington Heights, which there were a lot of singles there. So I was part of a singles community. So just because I'm, I got married with four kids and live in the suburban life, I haven't forgotten. I can't forget. I have not forgotten what it's like to live in a singles community and what that sense of kind of like, hey, God, if you just write me an email and tell me it will happen when I'm 32, okay, it might be later than I would have wanted, but I got the note from you that says it's going to happen. And okay, I'm going to go do this. I'll go live in Alaska, maybe. Like, but we don't get that email, right? We just get a lot of Yentas saying to us, soon I do, right? So it's, you know. <laughs> So I think in terms of how I've gotten into it more recently on social media, and I know this is a very long answer, is that if there's a topic that I write about and I'm just writing observations or what I've seen clinically for people, because I do treat, you know, I do have, I do have clients who are, you know, navigating the single scene and, and things like that. When I write something and I get messages back from people that say, wow, you just like totally captured what I'm dealing with right now, or I really needed to hear this, or no one's ever summed this up for me the way you have. What that tells me is service, not spotlight. That tells me I'm being of service here in something that it sounds like I should keep going. It doesn't mean I have to keep going. It doesn't mean I should be keep going at the expense of other things in my life that are important. But when I'm getting that feedback, I think sometimes that's how we learn what is meaningful for us and what our direction is, is yes, it shouldn't be totally focused on what everyone else is saying to us, but sometimes that's where we learn of like, oh, I guess this is refreshing for people to hear that. I don't think it's a big deal in my head to say that, but if that's refreshing for people, there's that. That was a very long answer. <laughs> that was a great answer. Yes. And I could, I could say that there, there have been posts of yours or things that you've said that have really resonated with me. And it's just, it's been, yeah, like it, it's incredible how someone like you who who got married, who's been married for a while and could really forget what it was like can still be so empathic. And this just shows that we all have that for everything, really, that empathy inside of us. You know what I mean? And it's interesting because I, I actually have a very close friend who got married when we were like 19, turning 20, had a kid right when she wanted to have the kid and, you know, has, has really in regards to family life has been doing things have been very smooth. Thank God. Thank God. And she is so sensitive and so empathic. And I feel like I can say whatever I want to her with no judgment. And I said to her recently, I remember I, I was like, what, how are you like this? Like, is it a personality thing? Is it because like you, you have a sister who, who got divorced and, and she was like, like, like what is it? Right. She's like, I, I think I just like, I'm just putting myself in your shoes. Like now that I've been there, but I just imagine what it would be like, you know, in regards to whatever situation it is at the time, a horrible day or whatever, you know, um, the breakup, whatever it is. And she's like, and I, I just, I just like feel for you. I'm not going to judge you for that, you know? And 
And, and, and I was thinking about it and I'm like, it really is possible. Like all these things people say, you know, someone's always going to have it worse than you. So you shouldn't, you know, you're always going to have something more than someone else or something less, whatever. But at the end of the day, you could still be completely empathic to some, what someone else is going through, even if you haven't experienced it, or even if you think that other people have it worse, doesn't matter. You know, just sensitivity is really important. A hundred percent. And I love that you have a friend that way that you have a friend who's able to show up in that way. Something I would add also is that I think we can sense when we're talking to someone, if they are able and willing to sit with you in pain. Yeah. And, And pain doesn't have to be the identical pain that you're going through. Anyone who has sat Shiva probably has experiences where there were people that came to, you know, be with them and were saying like the most ridiculous or insensitive things. And you're just like, what is wrong with you? Right. And, and what's that about? It's that it's hard for us to sit with pain, whether it's with our own pain or it's with other people's pain. And there are people that cannot allow themselves to sit with their own pain. And so they can't make space for other people's pain. Oh my gosh. That was like a, a light bulb just went off. <laughs> my head. Yeah. And that's why a lot of people say stupid things that, you know, they're trying to help and give a silver lining and, and, and hope, but it's like, I just need you to be here right now. Like you actually don't really need to say much. You just, just be with me. And I, I will say, I think this is where technology has actually been a downside for us because we've lost our village, our sense of, you know, I was reading about this, even it was talking about postpartum mental health issues. And it was saying how, you know, back in the day, like women had more of their village. And I think that we've lost a lot of community. There was a book written in the late nineties called bowling alone about how in America, you know, bowling leagues used to be like the thing, the big social thing and how there's been a major decline in bowling. We don't have like bowling teams, you know? And so what I think we've lost a bit of is how do we just sit with people in their experiences because a lot more of it now is through tech and I think technology it connects us virtually but it doesn't connect us viscerally in the same way like even zoom for example I noticed this doing therapy on zoom on zoom it's maybe like five or six seconds of silence before we're going to worry that we froze in other words the, the amount that there could be a pause on Zoom before somebody is nervous that we lost the connection. Because on Zoom, I have to announce my presence, right? When you're sitting with someone in person, they don't have to speak for you to know that they're sitting there. Yeah. And so that sense of presence and resonance, right? We want to feel like, resonance with other people that they're they're sensing something they're with us do we get that through social media yes but a much more watered down version of what we get in person so true and so that's i think when people you know when you're talking about stuff for singles i find that I feel as a married person that it's not fair to put it only on singles to be educating the community about how they are often misunderstood. Because when people, you know, I I actually, two years ago, I wrote something about how I, I didn't post it on Instagram, I posted it on Facebook, and I got a lot of messages from people who are single that were like really appreciative. And one of the things I I was sharing was how how alienating it is when you live in a community that as an adult and you're a single adult that people like don't know how to interact with you 
for how to integrate you into regular communal life. And on the one hand, you'll hear community leaders sometimes in faith communities complaining that single adults are not staying in the religious community. But my answer is, yeah, but do your institutions make them feel like they even have a place there, right? Are all of your events called like family and young children? Meaning is every event that you have the pricing per couple and per family as opposed to individual, which I think by the way should just be in general. Why do school dinners or fundraisers often have to be by couple? There are plenty of people where one person is going, one person is staying home with the kid. Like, why does it have to be by twos? It's just silly. So I'm also just, I just feel that systemically looking at our language, looking at the way we connect with people, I think that we sometimes underestimate how much we can connect with people who have a life situation that is different than ours. Why do we feel like we can't have things in common and feel close to people if they're at a different stage of life? Does that make sense? Yeah. And I think, I mean, I, 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 th- I feel like I'll, it depends on your upbringing. You know what I mean? Like it depends what you're used to. Like if you saw that your, if your parents were modeling, you know, behavior in regards to having friends or people who are close to them who are coming over, hanging out with them and they were in different stages, different religious levels, then right. you're going to think that's normal and you're probably going to behave the same way. I mean, don't you think? Yeah, it, it's a good point. I think I definitely, you know, saw that we can have conversations with people and also engage with people. I feel like growing up, I'd see my parents always, you know, engaging in, hi, how are you? Like talking to the garbage man, talking to this, but it wasn't, there wasn't this air of like, we don't talk to those people. You know, it was just, hi, you know, like, you know, you don't, don't have to be best friends with someone to say, hi, how are you? How's it going? You know? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Also, the whole like weirdness with people interacting with people from different cultures or different ages, stages, whatever it is, that's man-made. You know what I mean? Like, we weren't supposed to be like that. We're supposed to be community-oriented and, you know, we're all human. We connected literally, the by the way, in the intro for the podcast, I always say, well, it's the same intro, so um, that, that um, we all crave connection. Right. You know? And we just want to be understood. And that's really what is, what, like, that's the root of being human, I feel like. You know what I mean? So some somewhere along the lines, someone or people decided that when we're different, it's going to be hard for us to get along or connect. And really, that's not, that's not real connection because real connection is, is internal. So, yeah. Right. Yeah, and I think, you know, on the one hand, there's the, is, there is a human nature to look at uh, people as others. You know, I, one of the things that I, I've been bothered by in conversations or attitudes about single adults is, you know, it, I feel like, you know, the, the, the Hebrew word for aharon, right? Aharon means yeah. like last also like similar root as the word meaning late. It, it's the same root as the word acher, which means other or different. And I feel like when you feel different, you want to stay at the back of the line. You don't want to put yourself out there, which is what everyone tells people when they're single. And when you feel like you are running late and you're in the back of the pack, you feel very different. So. Part of this is also this sense of what is our concept of the schedule everyone is so supposed to be on and this sense of everyone doing everything at the same time. And do we give permission for individuality and people finding themselves? And even just the mixed messages, it's like on the one hand, people are saying to, to singles, you know, you got to get married. Like, what are you waiting for? But then, oh, could you believe it? All these kids are getting married so fast and then they're getting divorced. It's like, you can't win with a peanut gallery. <laughs> right? You can't win. You just can't win. So even just that sense of, are we giving people a sense of empowerment that, that we trust them to make decisions? 
And even if we're nervous about the making decisions, like we're here for them and not in this condescending way, not in this infantilizing way, not in this like, you know, you guys can't learn about certain things about Jewish marriage until you're actually like engaged, like things like that. Just, I feel like are very silly. I feel like part of the issue is that how people are treated when they are single is going to impact how they behave and feel when they're married and who they marry. If we make people feel or treat people in a way where they feel like they do not belong in the community, unless they have a partner, then people are going to feel certain desperation. And when I say desperation, I don't mean in a like, oh my God, they're so desperate. But this, this lower threshold for what's needed to marry someone and possibly overlooking important things. Even just, even just, you know, a few things, a few ways I, I try to label and give people language of how they're feeling about our new relationship is concept of chemistry, compatibility, and character. And when I look at chemistry, I look at it even from a science perspective, like how are these molecules when they are close to each other? And how are these molecules when they are away from each other? And, and, and that can include the physical attraction, but, but what happens to these molecules? <laughs> are they like, <laughs> they're like massive explosions that destroys everything around them. <laughs> right. Which you could say good chemistry, but not compatible with life. It's <laughs> true. Which I say, I, and I, I think it's not talked about enough that sometimes people will say like, you know, they, we have the best chemistry and, I, and I'll say, yeah, you know what? There might be someone that you have amazing chemistry with and it may not be red flags. It's just, there's certain people you might have chemistry with where it's like just not compatible with regular like daily living. Right. <laughs> it's just not compatible. It's like, it just doesn't work. You could, we could come up with all the theories why and this, that, and they remind you of attachment fear. I think that there's just certain people that they're great. You're great. You have amazing chemistry. It just doesn't work with regular life. <laughs> it works with like being in sleepaway camp, maybe, <laughs> but doesn't work with regular life. Right. And then compatibility is kind of how do we fit with each other in terms of not just what we want. Everyone's into this, like, well, we want the same things and we have the same plans. And I'm like, plans change plans, but plans reflect priorities. So are we looking at that enough? Not just are they giving lip service to the same plans, but what's what's behind these plans? But compatibility is a two-step dance with flexibility. You could have two people who line up very well, but if, if they're, they don't have flexibility in their personalities, it doesn't matter that they come from the exact same ascetic sect in Hungary. Like it's not, <laughs> if we don't have flexibility, then... It's not gonna, it's just gonna be very, very difficult. And then the character piece is just certain things about their character and, but helping people identify um, kind of where they feeling something might be stuck or they're confused about, or they're still learning about giving people language, I think is just, is so important. For sure. Yeah. You know, what's interesting. I just, I just remembered a story when I got engaged, I, was working in a clinic that had, you know, a lot of Orthodox people on staff and they made this card, like one of those big Mazel Tov cards. And everyone wrote like, here it is, and like, I'm so happy for you with like seven O's, you know? <laughs> I joke, however, however old you are, that's how many O's there are after so happy for you. <laughs> and I remember there was one little note from this guy. I, I'll say his name is uh, Joe. I see a note that says, Dear Rachel, don't jump ship from Joe. So I go over to him and I'm like, Joe, it's Dio. Like, that's your big. He goes, you listen to me. You listen. He's like, when people get married, no one wants to really tell them the truth. Or everyone wants to like, you know, finesse it. He said, listen, there are definitely times where it's not meant for a relationship to work. And there might be, uh, you know, unsafe situations. And there are times where there's compatibility stuff and it's not good for the couple to stay together. He said, but what's not talked about enough is that marriage is really, really challenging. And that there might be 
times, and there probably will be times where one or both people are sitting there going, oh man, I can't do this. I just want to jump shit. He said, those things happen to people. It doesn't mean they made the wrong choice, but we need to start normalizing that thought popping into someone's head. And I'll tell you, do I remember the other messages on that card? Not really. But which one do I remember? I remember that one. Why? Because he was very real. And I think that that's, and I know that's like the big buzzword now, like, hey guys, I just want to be real for a second and authenticity and all that stuff. I'm sorry. I don't know if you do that. So if I do that, if you I don't do that. Do that. <laughs> but there is something we feel inside when we're having a conversation with someone where we feel like they're kind of like cutting through some of the like fluff and just telling it like it is in a way that actually feels like, oh, there's like a breath of fresh air that we're like actually talking about something. Yeah. And by the way, that's show, don't tell. Like if anything, that's the important thing to do. You don't have to say what you're doing, that I'm I'm about to be authentic with you. Just be authentic. Be normal. (laughs) The people who are being real don't have to preface it, right? The same way that people that we should trust don't have to say, trust me. Right. Sometimes that's actually people not to trust. (laughs) I know it's so funny even like when people are like when they feel like they have to say it they have to point out their pimple on Instagram like we all see it like we all know you're human it's fine like or the no filter thing like we all see there's no filter unless if there's a reason why like I want to show you how accurate this lipstick color is so I'm not using a filter do you know what I mean versus like no filter I'm so gorgeous without a filter (laughs) like you should all know you know you know it's so interesting that you're bringing this up because I was thinking about this because makeup, I feel like I love makeup. There's such a you know creative piece to it. And social media has brought such interesting conversations in terms of how do we relate to our bodies? How do we relate to how other people show up? What are the rules, right? You know, some people are like, oh, well, like, how can you say that about filters? What about wearing makeup? Or what about this? Or what about getting laser surgery for your eyes? <laughs> you know, it's like the, what about this? What about that? You know? And I have found for myself, I mean, social media, I can tell you that I, um, when I got married, I decided to deactivate Facebook. I wasn't, I don't think Instagram was around necessarily then, but I deactivated Facebook for five years because I just, I did say I'm going to deactivate it for five years. I just said, I'm deactivating it. And I, I wanted more quietness, one more quietness. And I'm really happy I did that because it just took a lot of noise away. Also, I, I, four kids, my first three kids were born during that time. I had a, my son and twin girls. I'm so happy that Facebook wasn't even like on my mind of even to post anything that people who heard the announcement heard because they were friends with us. And I came back partly because I was missing funeral announcements, honestly. There was a good friend of mine whose father passed away and I missed the funeral and the Shiva because I didn't have Facebook. And I said, you know what, if I'm missing these kinds of announcements, you know, maybe, maybe I need to come back. So I came back and saw a very different world on social media. I saw much more, this is 2017. By that point, people were being so much more open about things they were going through. Yes, people were still posting their vacation photos, but they were also starting to post more about mental health. And that's when I got involved with the Lawyers Project magazine, which is a Jewish women's online magazine. And we put out a book recently. And I have really loved watching how social media has transformed our conversations, not just on social media, but our conversations in real life. And that people are now being more sensitive or more aware in real life about certain things because we've used social media as a way in a very grassroots way, right? It used to be that if you wanted to publish something, you had to send something to a local newspaper editor and hope that they would run it. Right. We don't have to do that, which is scary, (laughs) but there's also tremendous power in that. And I feel that there's so much there, but at the same time, social media is very noisy. I myself don't go on social media from Thursday night till Monday morning. That's like something for myself that I've come across. And I usually don't go on 
until the afternoon because I, the morning I just, I need to be me. And for myself, I just find that over the weekend, I want to be fully present. I don't want to have noise. I don't want to hear what people are eating for breakfast or what they got for their birthday present. And it's not because I'm jealous. It's because I just don't want that noise. Like last week I was in Disney with a few of my kids and I, during the week, just didn't go on social media because I was like, I don't need to see other people's vacations right now. It's not because I'm jealous. I just don't want their vacations in my head right now. I want to be present for my vacation. Right. So social media is definitely something where I continue to like reevaluate it and ask myself, how can I be of service, not spotlight? And how can I still create space in my life where I feel present for what's in front of me and also my own creativity, I think is better when I have space from it. Yeah, I'm sure I could relate to that. I'm sure a lot of our listeners can relate as well. It's important to just, I mean, also I, you're being very nice about it, but quite frankly, like, I don't care about what people are eating for breakfast or about where they're going on vacation. You're, you're saying hold having space for their whatever, but I mean, do we really care? Like, what's the deal with that? Like, like, why do we care so much? Do you know what I'm saying? Like, why do people care? I, I, I can't, I, I don't get it. Why do we care? I think there's natural curiosity. You know, I think, I think people are curious. I also think that it's a great escape. I mean, because then, then you don't have to like think about your own life right now. You know, I think it, I just think it's so funny. Like, even when I, when I do, you know, post stuff like that, like my coffee or whatever, if it looks really good, I, as I'm posting, I'm like, what the heck is this? But like people, I get, I get engagement. So pe- people appreciate it. So, okay, sure. Here you go. Here's right whatever it is, the new guitar that I just bought. Like I just posted it last night, but like, do you know what I mean? Like for me, yeah. I'm always like, I, I am not a consumer that kind of like Instagram consumer. So it's harder for me to relate to that. However, I know like what sells and what people like, but for me, I, I just, I just don't, I don't understand that. Like, okay. Escape. So go watch Netflix. It, it makes you feel good to watch other people's day to day, like schedule. I don't know. Right. I also, you know, I, I, did you ever read Us Weekly, the magazine? Oh, yeah, yeah. The, so yeah. they always had this one page that said stars, they're just like us. Yeah. And it would right. be like, look, they pump gas. They bag their own groceries. <laughs> they tie their shoes sometimes on a park bench, you know? Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And there's Gwyneth Paltrow tying her shoe, you know? <laughs> Sorry, Gwen, if you're listening. But... <laughs> right. But now I think we're at this place where uh, it's not stars are just like us. It's the person down the block who's in your carpool or who you see at synagogue. And that actually, I find, could be a lot more unsettling for people. Because when we're looking at Hollywood stars, there's like a built-in understanding that that's like a totally other category of people. Where I think it actually gets difficult is when it's, people that you're looking at who you feel like are kind of in your circle and look at their life and you know look at you know if they're posting something postpartum and everyone's like oh my god I hate you you're so skinny you know like these things that if it's someone who lives near you and is in your circle, it's just it's different and that's why I think the the threshold for feeling jealous or just natural comparison or just the sheer amount of people whose lives we could be spying on, not spying in an intrusive way because they're sharing what they want to share. But, you know, I think social media lands on people in different ways. I think there are people that can just be very, look at it very detached and just oh, whatever. And then there are other people where it really, it creates conversation and people are like texting each other due to see so-and-so story. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, and even you, I wonder if you've had this, People have said to me, Rachel, I feel like you're like at the cool table on Instagram. <laughs> and I'm like, I don't know what you're talking about. There's no table. It's like virtual. Like, have you had that also? Yes, like that kind of that, yeah. thing. And I'm like, it's so like, for me, it feels like Mean Girls a little bit of this, like, <laughs> there's like this click in the cafeteria that like they all sit together and like everyone else is just you like. You can't sit with us. Yeah. And I'm like, I don't, 
I don't feel that I'm sitting at the cool table. There's no table. There's no table. Like, but we could still have those middle school insecurities. We could still have that, you know? Right. But in all fairness, I have seen clicks on social media. Okay. You know, so, I mean, I don't want to get too deep into it, obviously, because... We don't want to create drama through this podcast, but I will say that, um, and some, and, and it's interesting because I have friends who are part of these, these clicks. So people think like, oh, that means that you're sitting and I'm like, that, that's not how it works. You know, first of all, I think that we all have to be normal and I'm not going to say sensitive. I think it's about being normal because sometimes people are just very weird and like almost showing off. Like we don't have to know every single time that you go out with ex- with so-and-so. Like right. pe- there are people on social that I'm actually good friends with that people don't know that because right. we don't post because there's no reason we, we get together, we connect, we bond, we go home. Like it's, <laughs> you know what I mean? So like it's I, not like pics or it didn't happen. Right. <laughs> Exactly. And then I see on the other hand that, you know, on the other side of the spectrum, I'll see people who you, you definitely know every single time they're together and they milk it and they post about it. And okay. So granted, I'm sure in all fairness, part of it is because it's helping their brand, right? It's kind of a collaboration, but they're not saying it. It's like, we're friends, but it's also collaboration. Um, And I think that, that, that kind of makes people feel, feel left out. And obviously that's for those people to figure out within themselves why they feel left out and like what they, what they're missing in life, you know, in regards to not feeling cool enough or worthy or whatever it is. Um, right. But people who say these things to you or me, I think it's more of like a real insecurity because we're not doing that like at all. You know what I mean? Like I follow you. I see all your stuff because Instagram knows that I love your stuff. So the algorithm keeps feeding, you know what I mean? So I know what, like what your Instagram life is like. Um, I don't know. Does this mean that you and I, are we sitting at the cool table right now? I don't know. Like, is this the cool table? Is Zoom the cool table? Right, right. You know, I, maybe, like, I'm maybe. in my basement. I'm in my basement in Teaneck. You're, you're on I'm the west side. Right. You're in your bedroom on the west side. We both blurred the backgrounds because, surprise, there's actually a mess. Like, no, but we're at the cool right. table. Right. Well, I, I, I mean, if we're really going to dissect this, it's probably because we like so you know what this podcast is 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 a, is a place to be very authentic that's why i started it so i'm using that word sorry rachel but so I know, i'll just I'm be not straight. that word that word existed it's right, existed right. for a very long time it's just about being over you i know, I know you mean yeah i mean yeah. so the truth is is that i think it's about who this is gonna be a very juicy podcast okay episode i it's it's about who you're associated with right so let's say people think that you're really cool um, and let's say for some reason, people think that I'm really cool because of my follower, my, my numbers, right. <laughs> Whatever it is, which is bizarre. <laughs> like, so then they'll be like, oh, that's why they're, they got like, that's why Nehemi was able to get Rachel because she has a big following of whatever as a micro influencer, you know, and, and, and you, you're a cool person. You have a following and you're influential. So, so we're sitting at the cool table. You know what I mean? Like, like that's what people literally think. Um, it's, it's, right. it's crazy. It's like, I remember someone saying to me once something like, well, I'm no Carmela cosmetics, but in regards to, to some like people who listen to her or whatever, right. in regard, and I said, I'm like, hold on, stop. You're just as equally cool as I am. Maybe even cooler. Doesn't right. matter about how many followers you have or how many, you know what I mean? Like it right. doesn't matter. Like, why are we giving credence to, to this? idea of of this like fake influence sort of thing you know what I mean with numbers and you, right I, love- I mean I always yeah I always say like I'm not gonna have it's not gonna say my tombstone how many followers I had at time of death right. I hope not that's not what's important to me right I think how I act towards fellows is more important than how I appear towards followers honestly. yeah so I, I think that integrity is something that it can't be measured from the outside because that's between me and God Right. And, and so I think there's, there's a lot of pieces to this in terms of just, you know, the question that people have of, you know, are they missing out on something socially that's going on? I think part of it though, is that it's hard as adults to make friends. I think a lot of people struggle with making new friends as an adult for various reasons. And so because that's a struggle for people, it can 
bring that to the forefront when they see other, and again, I'm not psychoanalyzing the whole world, but I'm saying just in general, when there's something that we're struggling with, we might be sensitive or more sensitive to when we see certain things outside that, that we think and assume are happening with ease for other people. You yeah. Know what I'm saying that sense yeah. of that sense of, Oh, there's this dance that everyone knows the moves to except for me. And, um, you know, sitting on the side, like a moron. <laughs> right. And also let's remember, I know people are constantly talking about this and bringing this, this issue up on social, but what you see is not the way it really is. I can give you an example of someone who, um, a, a friend of mine who I was speaking with and I'm trying to think of like how to say this, like keep it like very, very like, so, so no one knows, you know, who, who it is. Right. Um, but the point is, is that she wasn't such a fan of someone else. Okay. Let's put it like that. And right. then the next, and, and they really are, they're not friends. The next week I saw them posting on social, like they're best friends at an event. And I'm like, can you imagine how many people are watching this and thinking to themselves, oh my gosh, like I'm missing out. They're so lucky to have each other. They're such close friends. When in reality, they're not. One of them can't stand the other person, okay? And right. it's just, there's a lot of fakeness and pretending on social. So when you see friends, okay, sometimes they really are friends. Yeah, totally, of course. But there are also probably just as many times that they're creating this illusion of, of, of what, what truly is happening there. Right, there's that. I mean, you have that also with PDA, I find. You know, and I've I've written about this. You know, I'm not a huge proponent to PDA of these like birthday posts to a spouse and these like very elaborate like. Besides that, I think that there is something something is more special when it it's not shared with the whole world. But I I think also that it's something that I feel for relationships could be problematic in terms of just even you know it's like you're storing from your bed but then you're really offended that people are asking you about your bed and what you do in your bedroom and you're so offended by it and it's like don't story from your bed if you don't want people to ask you about your bed <laughs> don't do and ask me anything if you do and ask me anything people right. will ask you everything <laughs> Right. So if you do ask me anything and then screenshot, somebody wrote like, you know, I don't know, something like ridiculous, like, oh, like, you know, um, when's the first time you kissed your husband? I don't know, something like that. And the person's like, guys, like people don't understand like personal boundaries. (laughs) And I'm like, then don't tell me what to ask you anything. (laughs) They will. They will ask you anything. So we need to label our limits in that way. But I also think part of this is just, you know, when I was looking at the podcast and you know, talk about beauty, right? Of like, what what is beauty? What what makes us feel beautiful? What how much is that an inside job? How much is that external? Because a lot of that is, I think girls from the time we're young, like we get very into like the external stuff. I mean, I remember when I was single, even like I would, I wore a lot of makeup and I found that women or girls were so much more like, Oh my God, your makeup looks so pretty. But most men, I meaning like boyfriends I had, like most people, I, I, this was my experience. The like very made up look was actually like, not what they found to be beautiful. So there's also that piece of do we feel naked without makeup? You know, do we feel like we're pretty without makeup? And when do we feel good about ourselves? And is it relying, are we, do we rely on other people for that? You know, for me jogging, there's an irony for me in that when I jog, when I come back from jogging, on the one hand, I feel like I need to take a shower, but at the same time, I feel so cleansed. Yes because it's like this for me it's a very spiritual experience I from the time I started running for me running is a very spiritual experience and I feel so good I feel so good and even us being able to figure out for ourselves and the intrinsic motivation piece 
you know, things that we like to do and feel intrinsically motivated to do it. I think it's a very different experience than when it's extrinsically. It doesn't mean extrinsic motivation is bad, but I think extrinsic motivation means that we have to continue relying on things on the outside to, to keep us pumped up to keep doing it. I think I felt very grateful during when COVID started, really grateful that I love jogging and I'm very intrinsically motivated to do it because it's a solo sport for me. And I do it because I enjoy it. So I find that's much easier than if let's say something's because of this, oh, you're, you know, dieting for a party to wear a certain dress, right? Like that kind of stuff is much more, like I always differentiate between, am I doing something out of nurture or torture? Yeah. Because you could do the same activity. You could put makeup on from a place of torture of like the thoughts inside are, you know, very self-deprecating and feeling like I have to wear makeup because I'm ugly or I am this or I'm that versus like, oh, I'm wearing it because I like, I feel good in it. And it's just one of the ways I take care of myself when I want to feel put together. That's a very different, very different tune. It could be for the same activity and it could vary with time. True. So, right. Even going on social media, are you going on in a way where you end up torturing yourself? Or is it like a nurture thing of like, I need a break from life. And, you know, this is something to just kind of take a break and scroll through. That makes sense. Yeah, totally. I mean, it's like that with everything. Yeah. And I also think that, you know, and maybe it's because I, you know, do trauma work with people that like everyone's been through stuff. And this isn't like a, oh, you never know what goes on behind closed doors. Like when people say that, I'm like, are you rooting for them to be unhappy? Because they might be that happy behind closed doors also. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like they might, like life might look easy for them and it really might be easy for them. And like, can we be happy for them? Right. But I think everyone, everyone's grieving things. Everyone's been through stuff. Everyone has painful things. I mean, I. Like I had a lung tumor three years ago. Um, I don't really, I, I posted here and there about it, but I haven't. Oh my gosh. Tumor in my legs. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, wow. So I, I didn't know that. It's actually a story. So I can, I can give it to you in an abridged version. We're going to take a pause here and thank you for listening to part one of this episode with Rachel Herkman. I am sure you've been learning from Rachel's journey and the rich information that she has to offer. I know I have been. Make sure to tune in next week for part two of this episode, where you'll hear the rest of her story, what she learned from her experience, some of the hardest lessons that she learned both personally and professionally, and so much more. We'll see you next week. That's all for tonight. Thanks so much for listening. Connect with us on Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok at Carmela Cosmetics. That's Carmela with a K and on our website, carmelacosmetics.com. If there's a woman in your life whose story needs to be heard, send me a message to let me know who she is and why she means so much to you. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave us a review. We'd love to hear from you. We'd love to know your thoughts. We want you to feel heard. 